Hi, so uh, welcome to uh, 154, London's first contemporary African art fair. Uh, today we're extremely excited to welcome uh, Oliver Eliasson and Kirsten Holler. Um, I'll give you a short introduction. Uh, again, these speakers clearly need no introduction, but I'll give one anyway. Uh, so hosting this talk will be our program director, Koyo Kuo. Koyo Kuo is a Cameroonian-born curator, exhibition maker, and cultural producer. She is the founding artistic director of Raw Material Company in Dakar. Kuo served as a curatorial advisor for both Documenter 12 and 13, specializing in photography, video art, and video art in the public space. She has curated numerous exhibitions internationally and written extensively on contemporary African art. Over the past years, she has overseen exhibitions, publications, and theo theoretical programs within contemporary, contemporary art, with contemporary artists, thinkers, and writers. Recent exhibitions include Word, Word, Word with Issa Somb, The Indecipherable Form, um, at the OCA Oslo, and in Raw Material in 2013. Um, and then we move on to our, to our distinguished guests. Um, we have Karsten Holler here. Uh, Karsten Holler lives and works in Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, doubt and, and uncertainty are reoccurring themes in Karsten Holler's work, uh, which often takes the form of laboratory situations, lab, lab, laboratory situations, sorry. Um, uh, participating participatory sculptures and influential environments to produce a unique experience that can only be attained through personal exposure. His work has been shown internationally at the New Museum in 2011, um, uh, in, in Rotterdam in 2012, um, and most recently, uh, rather in 2006, uh, Karsten Holler conceived test site for Tate Modern London, and in 2005, he represented Sweden in the Venice Biennale, Italy. Uh, then we move on to um, Oliver Eliasson. Uh, Oliver wo Oliver's work is described as um, experiment. Describes his work as experimental setups um, spanning photography, installation, sculpture, and film. Eliasson's projects in public space include Green River, carried out by various cities in 1980. In 1998 and in 2001, um, and another project at the Serpentine Gallery Pavilion in 2007. Um, his latest project, Little Sun, is a solar-powered lamp uh, developed together with the engineer Frederick Otterson, um, and those are available upstairs throughout the fair. Can I ask you to turn off your phones during this uh, talk, uh, for obvious reasons, and not to take photographs? Um, and also, at the end, if you have questions, if you could state your name um, and stand up, that would be great for filming purposes. Uh, thank you all, and welcome our guests, uh, Carsten Coyo and Oliver. Oh, uh, well, thank you, Jose. Um, it's, uh, it's a great pleasure to welcome Karsten and Olafur to, uh, to this talk. When, we were, when I was planning for, the, for, the, for this series of talks, at some point, it was clear to me that uh, there are African artists who don't out themselves as African artists. And, uh, and uh, it was important to, to invite them international artists who have been working and investing time and creativity on the continent for many years. And uh, I thought that uh, these kind of projects were important to, to give a platform to, that uh, there, is a, there is a clear, uh, how do you say, uh, exchange between uh, artists from Africa, but not only and artists from the West, but also there is, there is uh, that art, uh, the continent also serves as a site for, for, uh, for inspiration and, uh, and uh, for production. So it's a, it's a great pleasure for me to, uh, to have Karsten and Olafur. And we will begin a little bit by, with the work of Karsten, move over to Olafur and then open up to the, to the discussion. And in order to put you in, uh, in the ambience very quickly, we will begin with, uh, with a short film that uh, Karsten is working on. And this is really like uh, a world premiere because the film hasn't been shown at all. And it's a film that uh, Karsten is shooting, or sh is it's shot and it's editing now, right? Uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Kinshasa. And, uh, that will sort of trigger our discussion and also the origin of his, uh, of his interest and work uh, in Africa.
Oh. Thank you so much. It's an amazing tension and ambiance. Carsten, uh, I read somewhere that you fell in love with, with, uh, with Congo and its music in uh, somewhere in a nightclub in Benin. And with this film, which is, uh, can you tell us a little bit more? I understood that it's a, it's a work in progress. It yes. may be longer, and uh, it continues your ongoing fascination with uh, Congolese music. Um, is this working? Yeah, okay. So, um, um, yeah, this was just a trailer, really, for the film we want to do. Um, we started to, um, you know, go to Kinshasa on a regular basis from 2005 on, together with Mons Monson, that I'm doing this film. I have, you know, I'm not a film director. I have really no idea about how to make films. So I was looking for somebody, and I found this young Swedish director who happened to be a football player in Kinshasa. I didn't know this. He was playing with a famous Swedish team um, uh, as a, in, in the youth section, and they had Congolese players. And then he um, decided to go with them to Kinshasa. So there's a famous picture of him, the only, like, white guy in a big stadium and Kinshasa and there's a big match and he's the goalkeeper. So he was in Kinshasa also like the first time when I was there in 2001 um, um, without that we knew each other. But then we met again in 2005, we met for the first time actually, we went together and we decided we, we want to try to make this film. But it has been a very slow process. So this is just, you know, this is all we have. Uh, at the moment, um, I'm refusing to look f looking for money for this film because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to spend my time on this. But um, <clears throat> we, we are looking for, you know, somebody who wants to do this with us, and we have hopefully now a good producer because we have been trying with two already. So it's it's a big project. It's a complicated thing to do, but what we want to do is like a reenactment of Rumble in the Jungle in some way, the famous boxing match that happened in Kinshasa in 1974. And we want to do it with music with the two biggest stars. We're not going to do this Kofi anymore, Kofi Olomide, but we do it with a younger person. His name is Fali Ibupa. He's an absolutely fantastic musician. And with Virason. And so it's also to be <coughs> going to be young against old. It's going to be, you know, it's, 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 it's an open end also. We don't know who's going to win because the winner is going to be the one who plays longest. That's the idea. So it's almost, you know, like this film, they shoot horses, don't they, where they try to dance as long as possible in order to win the competition with Jane Fonda. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, um, it's a project I would love to do, but I know how much it means in terms of putting my energy into it. So I'm also like, you know, waiting until it's ready. What I liked about the film very much is uh, the kind of pace you put in it. I mean, when, when one knows the rhythm of Sukus and the uh, rumba music mm. played in the Congo, which is rather a little, I mean, uh, 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 faster, the pace and the tension that you build with your filming, is that something that you, that you, I mean, you, I, I guess you studied it, I mean, can you tell something about the yeah, pace well, I that don't you're know. putting Congolese in? music, for some reason, which I never understood, is, is not very well known outside of Congo, and then maybe it's... It's very well known in Africa. It's known in some <laughs> African cities, it's, it's known as a nightlife music. That's how I discovered this, mm -hmm. what you said at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I first heard Congolese music in Benin <clears throat> in a nightclub, and I just thought, what is this? You know, I, I never heard anything like this before. So I tried to investigate. It was actually Kofi Olimide what I heard the first time. Mm -hmm. And then I got really interested. But outside of Africa, um, <clears throat> it's really not very well known. Uh, which has to do with a number of factors. One factor certainly that the music is quite complex in its build-up. So a typical song is quite long, say 10 minutes, and the build-up is often uh, with an introduction which goes in a completely different direction of the rest of the song. So you, you know, you're almost thinking, what is this? It's awful. And then, and then when you just realize, you know, that it's kind of almost painful, it starts into, and it turns into something completely different, and it often starts very, very slowly, but it builds up with what they also speak about in the film, which is the Sabine. And the Sabine is like the climax at the end. That's when everything, you know, all the energies get loose, when people, you know, improvise, when the real dance part starts. 
Um, uh, so the film, we want to build it exactly like one of these music pieces. So it should start very slow and, you know, take your time. And then at the end, it's going to be bombastic. But since we don't know who's going to win and what's going to happen, it's also going to be like an experiment. It's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a real um, thing that we want to stage, not stage, organize. Organize is the better word. And then see what's going to happen. Film it with this fantastic DOP that we have. Heute von heute mal, and then um, make it just into a fantastic film to promote the music. And these clashes happen regularly? It happens uh, not very often. Mm -hmm. It has happened a few times, but it's a very big thing in you know, the history of Congolese music. If they happen, um, then you know, this is something that really is going to be the talk of the town for like you know, months ahead. Mm. Everybody's going to be there, and it's all about the support of the fans, so the ones who support best their most beloved music group will make this band win. That's how it works. So, so I think it's a fantastic way of competing. Yeah. yeah, The winner is the one who plays the longest, or yes. is the winner is the one who has the most, um, the well, most the one more fans longest, in the audience. Of course, the more yeah. fans you have, the more enthusiastic they are, the longer you're going to play. So that's how it's, um, mm. it works. You, you, you continued that, I mean, I think Farah uh, Farah came, I mean, you started it a few years ago, so when you, you set up Double Club in London, which mm -hmm. I'm not a Londoner, but I heard a lot about it, and uh, people said that yeah, was the club to be in the, a few years ago. So that, I don't know if any of you <coughs> being in London now here has been there. That was in 2008 to 2009. It was meant to be a pop-up. Um, bar, restaurant, and discotheque. <coughs> even though at the, at the time I didn't even know what pop-up meant and I had no idea. Somebody's nodding the head, so you've been there, that's good. Um, and you know, I didn't even know that this was a concept that then became very popular. But anyhow, so the idea was to have um, these three spaces really divided into equal parts um, of two very different um, designs, can I say, or aesthetics, one being Congolese and one being so-called Western. <coughs> so if you look here, this is what you would see when you come in the space. So it's like virtual lines dividing <coughs> the space into different vectors or portions. And then here, like with the yellow plastic chairs, you have like a Congolese section, including at the end you have a barbecue, you have a, a bar. We bought all this in Kinshasa and brought it to London, including the corrugated iron and everything, so to the last little detail. And we made, uh, we, we, we um, painted Congolese beer advertisements on the wall. And then just next to this bar, you can see on the right side is a copper bar, which is very slick, um, which is a Western bar, obviously, and like a Western, Western vector. And then you have another Congolese one with a Sherry Samba painting in the corner that you can see there. And here it's like what I, what I made as an interpretation of Western, which is like a tile garden with, a, with drawings of a Russian architect from the beginning of uh, last century. So here you see the tile garden again. Behind this window you had the discotheque. The discotheque was um, organized as was just one vector line, so you uh, almost didn't see the difference, but the Congolese section was more, you know, unfinished than the Western one, but since they were both black you really had to look. But you would feel there was like also like a transaction through the space. And you had a dance floor in the middle that was really positioned exactly like that the line would go in the middle of the dance floor, like a round dance floor, which was turning <coughs> um, very slowly. And um, at the beginning, I thought, you know, we could have a DJ on, on the dance floor. That's what we had also, who would play Western music while he or she, the DJ, would be in the Western part of the of the of the discotheque and then you know because it's turning slowly they would move to the Congolese part and would be exchanged by the Congolese DJ who would then play for half an hour Congolese until it moves again into the western side. But um, I mean that's a nice artistic concept but it doesn't really work in a in a nightlife environment because people find it annoying that you're changing the music <laughs> you know dramatically. So we did this on Wednesdays and sometimes Thursdays but then we decided Fridays we do only Western music in the discotheque and have Congolese in the bar in the restaurant. 
and then Saturdays we have a Congolese concert in the discotheque and Western music. And so it was, the idea was really to be very precise, avoid any idea of fusion, so don't put it together, you know, except maybe in your stomachs, because there was a Western too, so you could eat Congolese and Western, and in your head, of course, um, <clears throat> and, you know, and the people are such, but otherwise, space-wise and time-wise, make it really distinct. So this is going to be Congolese and this is going to be Western. The idea is it's happening at the same time, in the same space. So it's almost like a schizophrenic situation, like I'm talking to you and I see maybe a completely different background to the background you're seeing when you're talking to me, which maybe makes what I say to you, you know, if it's at any way influenced by the background or by the surroundings, <coughs> um, you know, it's enhancing the conversation in many ways. I, will be, I, will be, I really want to dig a little bit more about uh, this separation, mm. you know. I mean, there was a kind of uh, spatial segregation in, the, in that project, in a sense that one would expect that exactly one in a project like that you will want to blend, you will want to create a kind of a fusion and, you know, mix things a little bit and you insisted from the very beginning that it has to be kind of standing alone i mean standing yeah, strangely, next you know next it works very other. well together and the end it all forms a unity you think you know this is just because many people come to this place and you know don't know anything about the concept they don't know that it's also like from my point of view uh, you know i also see this as an artwork but you don't have to it's kind of dirty in that sense it's a real you know night environment so people just want to enjoy it and have you know have a beer with their friends go to the restaurant the restaurant I don't know if you have better pictures but the restaurant was um, organized like a chessboard so you had like uh, you know squares of Congolese and Western Congolese table Western table and we also had art in the restaurant like you would have in on the Western walls so you have like an Alighiero Ibretti hanging there but we also had some, we had Congolese art, like we had a Sherry Samba, and we had like a, um, like a record um, by um, Franco, like a golden record, which was still placed on the Western part, because we thought, you know, it's the Westerners who would, you know, put the art on the wall in this way, even though it's Congolese. So it was, became more complicated if you, if you started to, to look into it and see, you know, there's, there's different levels of complication. But I like very much in a situation like this that you really can see this on so many different levels, not like an exhibition where you know where you are more or less, but a place which can be read, you know, very, very differently, but is still uh, somehow um, <clears throat> put together with one, you know, consistent idea. I see it kind of duality in that. Were you, were you trying to, I mean, were you trying to uh, represent or uh, install, uh, or do you see a, a certain duality <coughs> between the Western world and the so-called African world? And were you trying to sort of yeah? I always you know, it for me it's very way? tricky to speak about that. We this discussion has happened many times, but also here, like the African, you know, yeah. what is this, the Western, what is this? So it's also like playing with these funny ideas that we have. We have to have a name for some things, but some things are too big to be, you know, kept together under one name. Um, the Western is also, you know, we, we all know this is a very tricky concept, but I thought the Western could be just Western Europe. <clears throat> and if you look at Western Europe, it has exactly the same size as the Democratic Republic of Congo has, so, so you know, and also like, you know, roughly the, the same amount of people. So it fits, you know, in a way, you could say it makes sense, even though it doesn't make any sense, it's really meant to not make sense. The idea is to again produce some kind of clash, like in the film, to put two things together and just see what comes out of it, like a, like a double situation which is, um, which is based on a division and therefore on, on some kind of complication that is arising from there. But it actually feels, I think it feels good. It feels better than something which is like this space, you know, all in one that makes, you know, the whole thing together. I prefer, for my emotional side, I would prefer something that is divided and has this tension in it because I feel better in it. So it's also like a personal thing. Um, just find it interesting to be in an environment like this. 
At this point, I would like to invite all of you to join us before you fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I was not sleeping at all. I was, not, no, no. I was scratching my eye. <laughs> no. And I went uh, to the uh, bar and had a, had a really lovely time there. Um, and I uh, actually hadn't fully understood that there was this concept. And I was like, kind of, oh, Karsten, what is this? Oh, my God. So, but it was fun, good fun. Mm. Yeah, good it fun. was actually really good fun in the end. That was um, amazing how it turned out. Beginning, we had, didn't have many people. It was in the middle of the financial crisis. But then suddenly, on, I remember exactly January 2, <coughs> it was full. And then it became like, uh, you know, very, we had many visitors and it was really good fun. I had the best time of my life. I missed it. Mm. I think you should uh, set up another double club, maybe I hear that quite and often. <laughs> a car somewhere. Mm. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I'll be happy to, to work on that. Olaf, you, 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 like, you don't like tensions. You, you build light and uh, you build, you know, uh, education to infuse emotion. <clears throat> yeah, I'm not good at clashes. Um, makes me incredibly nervous, um, Carsten. But I, but I do. Um, yeah. So, so this, so this focus on how does something feel, which is why I was a conflict. I would never go into a conflict. So, how does it feel, and how are you aware that this feeling actually is sort of producing you in that particular moment. And the sort of mechanics of what are feelings and how do we sort of use feelings in a productive way, sort of responsible way or, or not responsible way. Um, and I started, um, if you want me to continue. Uh, so I started coming to, uh, for instance, uh, I started coming to Addis Ababa about 10 years ago. And I came there because of uh, private reasons and um, started being invested with um, a much more conventional, uh, sort of not unusual way of being invested. I was invested in an orphanage with infant caretaking programs and sort of infant trauma programs. And this, and slowly <laughs> I just, obviously then one does that a little bit. Uh, and then in the evening I was hanging out and then very quickly I was wondering, my God, where are, they? where are the artists? I mean, who should I talk to? So I was talking more to sort of NGO people and. And then I started hanging out at the art school a little bit and you know, just developing friends. I went maybe three or four times or two, three, four times a year. But, but evidently, I also was, was quite influenced by the fact that uh, the way that the you know, uh, city just has this incredible energy and incredible power, Addis Ababa that it was. I mean, the way the sun sets, like kind of suddenly there's like, with, in, in, like suddenly it's pitch black. There's this total shift from day to night, whereas in Northern Europe, there is this kind of twilight zone and everything sort of about that twilight and who are you in the twilight and so And this kind of incredible, so it was so new for me. And slowly I, I became emotionally um, kind of um, involved in a different way than, and, and I started to be able to see this NGO um, sort of, or the kind of work I was involved with. I was suddenly able, through the local communities I got involved with, I was able to sort of, get a little more sensitive, um, you know, seeing it from the outside. And one good example was actually some years later, two, year, two or three, two and a half years ago, I was there with my friend, the engineer, the solar engineer, with whom I have this sort of obsessive uh, uh, energy uh, disorder. And, um, and, and we were there and, and we, we said, oh, we need some advice to help us on this very seed-like idea we had. And we went to see some German NGOs, Gitte said uh, they're called, so, so a room like this full of German engineers uh, and lovely people and all of that. But, and, and, but interestingly, generalizing a little bit, what they said was, you know, uh, just make sure it works, whatever you do. Uh, don't worry about, you know, creativity, design. Uh, so this is Africa. Just make sure it bloody works, right? So it doesn't break. What did you mean by don't worry? They meant yeah. that there is creativity and design <laughs> No, no, they, what, so what they, yeah. so I was there like an artist. I was like, oh, so, so something arty. And then they were just looking at me and said, this is Africa. Just, just work on functionality. Oh. They said, okay. So I said, oh, fuck, I'm, I am, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is never going to work. But then we, we actually had our first prototype of our little experiment. We went out to the street. We're kind of disillusioned because these, you know, these, these Germans, right? So we said, so we said to people, so um, 
what do you think of this? And this was the very first, it was really ugly, but it did work very well. It was really ugly, but, but Frederick, the engineer's son, has made a very nice string in leather, sort of, he sort of knitted it. Then we asked people, oh, this is not going to work. We said, so what do you think of this? And everybody said, hmm, well, it's not a bad idea, but the string is really nice. <laughs> and we said, what? What? Uh, clearly, we're doing something totally wrong. And then, actually, we went on a longer trip where we changed it, went a longer trip, and we worked on the design a lot. And essentially, uh, we realized that we were obviously uh, carrying with us a huge blind spot with regards to the kind of success criteria. And this was a very transformative period for us because the whole idea of language, the whole idea of structure, uh, the whole idea of how one speaks in a very stigmatizing way. And I, and I realized you know, how I had to kind of modify my uh, attention in order to uh, uh, be um, you know, sophisticated enough to not, inst you know, in, in, to not support the sort of polarization or the class that you were also addressing in a way. And this is then how this came along, this idea of creating a sort of a language which addresses a global us mm. and working on something which has the same typography, same language, same addressing, same principle everywhere for everyone. Um, but I, I, I also wanted you to, to talk a little bit about, I mean, we were talking when we were preparing this a little bit, you were talking about the informal and formal systems. And uh, you mentioned something in that direction, talking to, to the German engineers and telling you you don't have to worry about creativity, you just have to work. So, and I also know that uh, you've been doing in the last five years this amazing educational program on uh, Raum für, uh, Insti Institute for Raum Experiment, <coughs> Special Experiment, I have to translate it and uh, you collaborate with the Addy School of Arts also, and you actually have a breaking news for us concerning that. Yes, uh, so for some, for, for I had a five-year interdisciplinary grant to do a sort of more experimental art school in Berlin, and um, one of our focuses was um, to work with the school uh, the same way we would work with it in, in Berlin or on the street in Berlin or outside in parks, and so we would do the same in other places as well, and we went then to occasionally to to, to places. And one of the the more um, robust uh, trips was we went ten weeks, two months to ten weeks to Addis Ababa with the whole school, everybody, the staff, and those the the whole. We just moved the whole thing, and and the experiment was we just continued to do what we do in Berlin, as if nothing changed. Um, but we did it then in, in strong collaborations uh, with the local school university uh, at Asa, in the Alla School of Art at the local uh, the uh, Arad Kilo University in Addis Ababa, and um, and before going there we had invited six, not at the same time, but one on one uh, uh, students of this school there to come and, and sort of prevent us from coming there and be totally dis uh, uh, sort of disconnected, and so on. So we prepared it well. And it was actually totally possible to keep working. It turned out that things that were quite easy in Berlin was very difficult, but also things that were very uh, difficult in Berlin was very easy. And it was very much about the formal and the informal systems and structures. And, and uh, what, turned, what, what was interesting and, and, and what led to a greater uh, involvement with the University in Addis Ababa was that there is this incredible uh, successful informal structure but there's very strong forces trying to formalize it into a more conventional art academy. And having tried very hard in Berlin to avoid the formalization of academic, also the French academic uh, work of, you know, now you're a student, then you become an artist. But just instead of working with uh, sort of self-confidence and the kind of infant trauma syndrome principles, mm -hmm. uh, it sort of works very well in art schools uh, as well. So, so <coughs> the, the desire in Berlin was really to break out of that very hierarchical uh, um, type of educational um, system of knowledge production. And this turned out that well, that was already going on in Addis, but it was to, uh, to a certain degree, the school was working against it as they wanted to create a kind of Western academy. Mm -hmm. So uh, then in Addis, we met alternative groups, artists, smaller artist groups uh, with whom we collaborated and later also invited mm -hmm. up, to, um, up to Berlin. Uh, one of which is the Nesta Art Village that you might know, 
and, and they have this informal uh, system which is very much based on self-organized uh, systems and so on. And I said to the asker, why don't you just copy that? It's brilliant. They have a lot of knowledge production, you know, content production, reality production. Um, they're doing much better than the art school is because the art school is somehow uh, so obsessed with representation and <coughs> ideas about, well, this is a painting of something which is somewhere else, essentially very modern. Uh, and, and this was an interesting uh, sort of, you know, period and, and what you mentioned as a certain announcement, I only since five days uh, uh, was granted uh, the job of being a professor at the school in Addis Ababa. So this is great news for me. Uh, and I'm starting to teach there as the school in Berlin is actually uh, closing now in February. This is fantastic. Congratulations. Are you, are you in that process, I mean, that you, you will begin now teaching at the school, is this uh, tension between formal and informal, is that something that will flow into your teaching? Is it uh, uh, in a certain way to sort of nurture the informality of, uh, of, uh, of the teaching, transmitting artistic knowledge? Is it something that you, you're thinking about? Difficult question. Well, essentially, it's about what type of um, self-esteem and, and you know, energy does people bring about and with what type of uh, language or form do they then express that? And I think uh, there is a, there is a uh, in, the, in the process of formalization, there is a tendency to kind of systematize the way you express yourself in order for it to fit a sort of standardization of what is art and what is not art. And by doing so, there's a, I think there's a loss of uh, potential. Uh, and, and one could also say this is to some extent happening as, as, as there is, I guess, everywhere in the world, the desire to make art that actually looks like what we know as art. And what struck me as being a particularly uh, strong resource, for instance, at the art school in Addis Ababa, was that there was a lot of people who sort of started school being incredibly um, robust with regards to that there is a degree of urgency with regards to saying something, but then the school started to systematizing that into a very conventional idea of what is art. So this means that there was a lot of you know, potential, but not a very successful way of handling the potential. And, and, um, <coughs> and this is, I guess, a discussion that is not unlike the conventional critique of the institutional sort of uh, power structures that, that we have exercised within the more conventional uh, Art, um, art world, the way that the art institutions kind of, you know, kind of formalize or you know, standardize and generalize our senses, our way of seeing, our thinking and so on. So it's not, I think, a type of questioning which is very different from a, from a discussion that we are to some extent aware of. Uh, when we are preparing this event here, which is a fair, uh, we, we uh, encountered a lot of uh, interest, of course, but also a lot of opposition, especially with the tagging Africa, and Karsten reacted quite vigorously just earlier. Did I? Uh, somehow, okay. <laughs> about not tagging, I mean, what is Africa and what is the West? And we tagged this, uh, this talk about the inspirational power of Africa. I personally believe that there is something special or different or, you know, that is in uh, many African societies that, and, and a lot of people mention it in a, may, maybe in a more subtle way. Of course, they, it's too big to be contained in a, What I want to ask both of you is uh, your uh, engagement and uh, experience and work and life in the, uh, on the continent, what has it changed or influenced in your practice in a certain, in the, in the last, since you've been doing it, since you've been going there and working yeah. there, and, you know. Shall I start? Do I have time to think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you know already. <laughs> no, but just back to this idea of Africa, because first of all, we know, you know, there's, there's North Africa, there's Sub-Saharan Africa, there's South Africa. So that's already a division that you have to make. Mm -hmm. Then within this middle part that I we normally... I don't agree, but still. You don't agree? <laughs> no, but it's <laughs> like... Continue. And then, you know, for a Western person, Africa is somehow, you know, there's so much more connections to the world than to Asia in terms of stories, images, whatever. But I think it's actually a little bit um, 
difficult to use it too much. Um, it can be used if, it's very, uh, if you're very careful about the term. But I prefer to say West Africa, if I mean West Africa, and Central Africa, if I mean Central Africa, but not to say the whole thing because it becomes too much um, of a generalization and it doesn't um, you know, adjust to how complex it is over there. As it is everywhere in the world, you know, nothing special about it. But um, the special part, that's what your question was about. Um, and that's, of course, an impossible question because how shall I possibly answer this? Um, how, <coughs> what is special about I think it's, it's really, you know, it's something that you expose yourself to and it fits. I found out some people it fits and some people it doesn't. I just happen to be the kind of character who, to whom it fits. Then there's certainly a personal history. I grew up in Belgium. Um, my parents are German, but I had Belgian neighbors on the right and on the left. They both had been in the Congo, and they had these amazing objects on their walls. You know, now you can see this from a more critical perspective. But me as a boy, I saw this and I thought, oh my, you know, this is so different from everything else I know. I got really intrigued, I have to say. So there are some things like this that you just you know, get along the way in your life and either you're interested or you're not. I happen to be interested, so, um, and then the other thing is I have then decided together with an artist friend of mine, Marcel Odenbach, that we build a house in Ghana, um, which is now finished since five years. So I'm going there on a regular basis. I can just say this really influences me more than any other place that I know. It's not the same was going to Italy to a lonely island, say, and you know, eat great food and do holiday, it somehow does something else to me. Just to explain what it is is a very tricky thing. It's almost as if like, you know, some other part of me becomes more becomes bigger that normally is quite small and the other way around. So I'm you know, it's almost like I'm looking at an archive film of myself or something. It's very it's very powerful and it's very quick. It takes me just half an hour and everything I now it changes my my way of feeling with you know being me, so that's quite powerful, and I can't explain why this is so, but it works over there better than if I say go to Switzerland. <laughs> what do you because think? You've been well, I it took some time for me, as I as I said before, to somehow understand. Um, that I wasn't necessarily just clumsy. I was also a little bit numb, and I was sort of trying to figure out to what extent do I know that I'm numb or how, you know, can I see the blind spots and so on. So when we started planning going down there with the school, at that point I had gotten a little more clear about, well, it was not about you know, the school visiting, you know, Berlin visiting Addis Ababa. It was as much about, uh, you know, also understanding Berlin as uh, Addis Ababa have a, you know, a whole toolbox of ways of looking at Berlin, which is very relevant when you're in Berlin. So, so it was sort of very interesting for, for obvious reasons to, to be in Addis Ababa um, and, and, and work there over a period of time. But it was very interesting also to sit in Addis Ababa and then look at Berlin. Berlin looked, you know, because when you're in Berlin, it's such a, you take so, you, it's, you, t you sort of make the mistake and, and take, thing, take things for, um, for granted as being, you know, totally natural everywhere in the world, the same and, and so on and so forth. And it's not necessarily just about good things, it's also good and bad things. And you get sort of nummified <coughs> or, mum, or mummified. And, in, and uh, you know, one, you need to get out of Berlin to see, um, you know, the formal, the, the, the potential of the, the sort of um, informalities, <coughs> and to some extent, I would argue there was a sort of a, a, a ring of that in Berlin, in the, maybe from '93 to '98 or something. There was that kind of the success in the unpredictable, uh, and so on. So this this was one thing, but I think it also breaks down into more very clear type of arguments, such as um, I was making a project with this Dillson uh, project in in Milano. At uh, you know, at a at a sort of sort of in a more campaigning spirit at a shopping mall for Christmas. So our shopping mall decided to leave out the Christmas windows in front of the Duomo. It's uh, the Arena Arena Center. It's called. It's very prestigious, full of sort of rich Russians, Russians and Arabs. No offense, and it was such a in very intense. 
And, and then we decided to try to push this idea of, you know, it's not about the kind of resource full and the resource weak, it's about the sameness, right? it's about what we share. And so that's a long story. But the point is, you know, I was down in our pilot kiosk in Addis Ababa. I was telling it to Asafa, showing him that, oh, we'll do a Christmas party, I was telling him. So I said, oh, that's great, Asafa says. And he sells cigarettes out of the, out of the pack, right? And Asafa is one of our great uh, sort of um, protagonists now in Addis Ababa. And he, <coughs> and he said, fantastic, we'll do a Christmas party in Milano. I will go, he says, I'll go and have a Christmas party. It's great, we're going to party together for little son. Then, you know, he's, then he couldn't go and it was okay. It was like, oh, I can't go, so it's no problem. And then in Milano, I was at the Christmas party and everybody and they were there and blah, blah, blah. And as you know, like kind of art world type of knowledge, right? So you know there, and then you say, oh yeah, but you know, so I was with this Asafa guy and you know, he sells it, as great. And then in Milano, everybody said, oh, so great. We are partying for Asafa, you know? So, so there was this very, you know, sometimes the distance from, uh, I mean, Berlin or Milano to Addis Ababa is much bigger than the distance from Addis Ababa to Milano. Mm. Uh, and, there, and that is maybe the difficult thing about the blind spot, that the resources are not where we think they are. I mean, we feel so incredibly resourceful, mm. but the truth is uh, we are, you know, we do not have the power. We are actually, uh, to a great extent, uh, the weaker link in this whole uh, sort of, uh, plan, uh, sort of uh, idea about the future because we have uh, built up this burden that we carry with us uh, as we try to sort of suggest there is the there's a kind of global us type of potential in there. And the work creating the idea of the global us is much bigger in Milano than it is in Addis Ababa, or Berlin for that matter. So, um, so, so the Africa uh, question is a complex, it's a complex one. Uh, um, and, and I think it's uh, one that I'm, only slowly learning to steer because occasionally I run into people who are like totally up to date on sort of new colonial theory and stuff like that, and they go, "Oh fuck, I better not say anything now," because it's so it's so relevant how that research is producing, you know, the tiniest little strings on which we are going to build the future with regards to kind of how does one actually create a language which is not stigmatizing or polarizing or mm -hmm. somehow excluding, um, and um, and um, the greatest. I can do right now is just to kind of see if I can tune into that and, and uh, have confidence. Um, and anyway, so not that I only think that I hear good things from those people. But I think you're tuning in very well. <coughs> uh, before we continue our trialogue, I would want to ask if uh, there are any comments or questions from the, from the audience which we will be happy to take now. Yes, sir. Just wait. Just wait for the. Just say. Uh, wait for the mic and say your name very briefly. And. Uh, <coughs> My name is Luke Allen. I'm a filmmaker. I just wanted to know what was that yellow thing that you got oh, in your yeah. hand? Okay. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get to finish to explain that. Olafu, please. What is the yellow thing you have in your hand? Do we have that little film? Yes, actually, yes. We can. We, we can little, show. I have a little promo. <laughs> it's sadly not yeah, as, as creative. Because I wanted as a... to go to that. Uh, Olafur, uh, but before, I can show it quickly yeah. though. Can I, can I say to you, I love to say it. Anyway. I love to say it. So this is a little work of art, which also is a solar lantern with a solar panel. And if you charge it in the sun, you will have energy uh, or light in the evening. And uh, very, si very simply, uh, it works. Uh, it's made, it, it works, you know, for one evening, one, one day of charging. And it's made so that it competes with the oil industry. That's how we say it, right? <laughs> so this means the point is it's a power station, a little power station, which is obviously environmentally and health and educational and business driven. So it's not a aid or NGO or we don't donate or we, uh, there's not so. I mean, we rely on systems that are close to aid and NGOs and we respect their incredible networking abilities, but essentially we are market driven. So um, we rely on local business to make enough profit for them to reorder a lamp. And, and then we try to sell it to them for the production price in places where the economy is, is enjoying being built up. And we sell it at a higher price uh, here, uh, I hope, it's a higher price here. Uh, you know, so I believe here it must be around 20 pounds. And typically, uh, in, uh, for instance, in Addis Ababa, it's uh, around 100, uh, no, 200 beer, which is $10. What he's not saying, and this is something that I'm working him into, is that uh, 
some of the proceeds of Litusona also to support art spaces in Africa. And uh, this is something that uh, raw material <coughs> company is very, it's very engaged in, in, uh, in doing mm -hmm. in, uh, in Dakar. And uh, Olafu invited a whole series of young filmmakers worldwide from the Middle East, from Africa, from Asia and Latin America <coughs> to do short films about light. So we will show one, there are two, three minutes, right? Mm. and then we'll continue very quickly. But, maybe, but can I just yeah. say one thing? So, so just so, because I always don't say the important thing. So it's an incredible, once you are suddenly in an area where access to uh, energy is limited, and then you say, okay, here's light and energy, power station strong and all of that. But then you say, and then it's a work of art. That's such a lovely uh, uh, kind of uh, icebreaker because people then typically, if they're not, you know, not uh, familiar with, uh, uh, with your work, with raw, with raw, uh, then they say, so what do you mean with a work of art? And I say, no, it's a work of art. Uh, and, uh, I, and I did that not so long time ago, and, and this, um, this woman, who was like 600 years old, she said to me, do you mean like in the church? She said, and I was like, oh, no, actually, uh, that was not. But, but interesting, I leaned over and said, yes, I do. And then she said, oh, but that is amazing, you know? <laughs> so suddenly it, was, it went out of functionality, uh, and, and I don't mean to, um, but it really went from being, you know, a functional thing to something which, is, which was unpredictable, you know? Who knows what it is for? Uh, and this is, it just means that I think we, 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 uh, we owe it to art to have that kind of unpredictable seed in it at all times, even for, for people who are not, you know, uh, uh, for for various reasons, not so interested in art. We'll watch one uh, short film. <laughs> if there are any comments, people who would like to participate, uh, we are please. We are open for that. Yes, there is. Hello, my name is Ted and I'm a student from the Royal College of Art in London. Um, I'm currently working on a project regarding visualising energy and specifically around sustainability in the, our kind of the domestic use of energy, especially in the West, is around because energy is invisible. We, can't, we just use it and use it and we can't see anything to measure other than you get a bill about four months later and it's kind of by then you're done with that use. Um, and I bought a little sun from Anastasia earlier, and something I'd seen the little sun at the tape before, but something I picked up today I hadn't in the past was uh, when she sold it to me, she said this is London sun because it'd been charged in London, but then Ethiopian sun would be different to Los Angeles sun to Reykjavik sun. And I thought there's, kind of, there's a beautiful poeticness in that. Um, but to you specifically, kind of a lot of your work is around the visualization of energy. So I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that specifically, or if that kind of the different kinds of CERN was the original intention, an original intention of Little CERN, or that just came about. <coughs> yeah, I think we we have um, the idea of site specific, making the sun site specific is very much about also making it less abstract. <coughs> And bringing about this notion that something that we all share, the sun, the, the, the big sun, is in fact, uh, you can actually make it available for each of us, so all of us and each of us. And, and, and the, the, the issue here, I think, uh, with the specificity is very much about also making energy tangible, which is so difficult, uh, as you said, that it comes out of the socket uh, in the wall. Um, and, and uh, you know, the kind of... Um, relationship with the environment and the whole question about climate and so on is obviously one which suffers or is challenged by the degree of abstraction or the degree of uh, kind of incomprehensibility uh, in terms of physical knowledge. So making something, uh, you know, uh, that's why I say it's not about the feeling, it's about the felt feeling. It's about when do you know that the feeling actually resides <coughs> in you? Do you know where it is and what it does to you? Do you know how a, feel, a feeling sort of imprints you like physically. So if we can make um, energy physical, we can also create a movement. There's something there uh, which I think is incredibly important and that's why we focus a lot on, so how does it actually feel to hold it? Which is why it's so important it's a work of art. Because the feeling is a much stronger mover than something functional. So the climate um, has become 
increasingly an issue and um, we actually in the final, it's not really announced yet, but we're in the final sort of um, process of agreeing with a very large uh, sponsor on, uh, or sponsor, so philanthropic, I should say, on, on um, you know, somebody's investing in Little Sun anyway, so tons of money, so really, br really brilliant. Uh, but the sort of argument is that once you sell a million Little Suns, that account make accounts for uh, so and so many petroleum and kerosene lanterns that takes away so and so much import of kerosene in a particular country which is tradable for a carbon footprint or, or carbon, what do you say, it's carbon unit or sort of carbon? Carbon imprint. Yeah, the one, what do you sell the carbon, uh, so, so I'm so not into this um, language, but you know, so you can sort of now already trade carbon. Imprint. Carbon finance. <laughs> right? So anyway, so and that, and funny enough, our we, so we have a little business model, and there are some really brilliant people working on this business model, um, and they you know they talk about you know the tradability of the carbon emission uh, sort of units that we save, right? So 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 in the business plan, it's actually been counterbalanced with actual physical carbon well, well, in millions, right? So it's a little not just around the corner, but so it's very interesting that we have just become the idea of making the environment explicit actually does translate into you know real carbon trading and and you know the global challenges with regards to the the um, co2 emissions and so on so it's in a very odd way we are seeing uh, we are in the process with this project there's 10 people working uh, in, within this team we're seeing seeing some connections between something highly abstract emotional psychological you know, also about language, campaigning language, uh, um, awareness building and so on. A link from that all the way through to kind of business plans, business or long-term business and carbon footprint uh, uh, handling and finance and so on, um, which is really interesting. Um, <coughs> and not all of which I'm very sort of specialized in. <coughs> I do think though, with regards to the climate, Yes, relevant. This is made in plastic, so when people ask, so what do you do? So, so not recycle, is it? No, we just burn it, we say. Because it takes, there's 828 gram of plastic in here. This is what you use in two hours burning petroleum. So, so and this is enough petroleum for three years. So with either, I don't think you should burn it, but do, do you know what I mean? So even though it's plastic, it's still much better. And, 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 the, and, and let's just be honest, also the main challenge with regards to having kerosene and petroleum lightning in your house inside is the uh, respira respiratory disease challenge. So the fact that your sort of kids all over the world are having the fumes right up in their face. That is a, that's, a, that's a very, very um, sort of direct uh, and you know the lack of, you know, a lit you know, so anyway, the relationship between health and illiteracy is really uh, also very well researched and very robust. So the climate is essential and it's in there uh, and it's a great story, but the immediate results, I think, is, is in, to be honest, also a health, um, sort of a health uh, uh, thing. Yeah. Anyone? There is a gentleman right there and, yeah. Uh, Abe Cross. I just wanted to know how how do you actually position the little son? So, for for example, a little girl can do her homework and stuff like that. Is it kind of you know? Can you prop it up in a? Is is that being thought about in the design? Um, yes, thank. Yeah, yes. So I so I mean it had to be a. So we had two. So I'm sorry to be so unacademic now, right? So we had two main users. It's a child between tw uh, five, and, 5 and 12, or t 5 and, you know, teenager, and then a young mother. And the interview we did with the young mothers would be, I'm not going to wear it, even though my children might benefit from it, if my neighbor is going to laugh at me wearing this, because he's going to go, oh, you can't, you don't even, uh, you don't have your family under control, you're going to wear some kind of stuff around your neck uh, in the day. Uh, it will victimize you. So one thing was to do something where people actually say, oh, it's great, I, it's a sign of power. So it's a little bit like a Prada bag or something. So that was the one, one aim. And the other one, one was for children to say, oh, this is amazing, I can, I can play with it. I can take it and show it to my friends, it's cool. 
And that's obviously um, where the German engineers were so totally dead wrong. Uh, the emotional aspect of it is our strongest uh, driver, and the fact that it's a design object. So we, we, uh, you know, we by saying it's a work of art, we also, I mean, complex as it is, we also say it's a premium market product, right? Because the art is like kind of on the top of the pops. I wanted to to pitch in, in here because you were talking earlier about the feeling about it. I remember that uh, uh, a, friend, a, a mutual friend of ours uh, was trying to get me involved with uh, with Little Son, was trying to get me excited about it. And he was like, oh, you definitely have to meet Olaf Eliasson. He has this wonderful project and wonderful thing uh, uh, that he produced for, for light and uh, it would work perfectly in Africa. And my first question was, what is it that he has done that will be revolutionary, which anybody else has done before? And you said it actually in a sense that the feeling that you have when you, when you, when you see Little Sun for the first time and when you, when, when you touch it, and this is actually geared to uh, to Carsten. You are, because you are considered uh, into the family of the relational aesthetic artists, artists who create experiences and intangibility in a sense that uh, uh, the experience is the artwork. And uh, one can also see it with the projects that uh, you did, for instance, the, the one that I know, the, the Double Club and, uh, and even the, the Farah Farah film is a strongly emotional experience building, building uh, uh, piece. And uh, I wanted to ask you uh, if that is something that also is very, very, that you can very strongly find and feel when you are, for instance, in the Cape Coast or in Kinshasa, or mm. is it our places, localities, sort of also drench into, I mean, infuse your, your inspiration in terms of creating new experiences? Yeah, maybe I should say that, <coughs> you know, I, I very much like and respect your project, but I don't work in, in, a, in a similar way. I, I see my main mission, if not that's a much too big word, but it's, it's really to, you know, I do very specific things for probably just a few people. You have a wider audience in, in that sense. Um, because very often what you need to do when you want to <coughs> experience my work is that you have to be physically present. So it's not something that you can spread all over the world like you can spread this or something that could be spread over the net, <coughs> for instance. But it requires physical, you know, you have to expose yourself <coughs> almost in a bodily way like you would expose a film before uh, the digital times to light and then see what kind of image comes out. And this is something I think, you know, this is my role, really. I'm, I'm, uh, <coughs> I'm an experimenter. I'm trying to find out what is possible in this life, that in the time that we have when we are alive, what can we do with this life? Where can we get what, what are... I, mean, I think we, we are similar in the sense that we're both very interested in emotions and feelings and, you know, like the concept of the self and how this can be changed. But um, my approach is really very specific. I want to get very, you know, like drill somewhere where it almost hurts in a way. Um, <clears throat> so um, in this sense, I'm always, you know, <coughs> trying to also like see how, how am I affected by where I am, what kind of people I speak to, because it's not just me. Um, <clears throat> I'm not, you know, an eremit. I'm a social person. I like to travel, I like to meet people. But um, coming back to your question, yeah, I, I think that exposing myself to a place is also, you know, something that has to do with this. And being very attentive of what is happening to you. Because you're not, you know, you're not... With, I, I always find it very interesting that um, <clears throat> when you're placed in a place, wherever in this world, you're becoming almost part of an organism, which is the place. It can be a city, it can be a country, but there's almost like something that connects the whole thing, almost like a mass hysteria in a very, in a very slow or low way that connects the whole thing, that makes people behave in a similar way. 
So by traveling the way we do, we come to different, you know, organisms and we blend in and we become different uh, because we become part of the larger thing. It's so interesting that you go from one border to another. For instance, between Belgium and Germany, there's a small stretch of Holland that goes down like this, which is 10 kilometers wide, really nothing. And you drive through with the car and there's no border, nothing, but still you feel immediately the presence of something else. I think this psychological thing, almost like a personality, which is not made inside your own body, but as a common personality, that's what I find very interesting and I don't know what it is. I have no, you know, explanation, but I'm very happy to find out and see, you know, what red brings you at least. That's so interesting. Uh, we could continue, but I think that we have to unfortunately stop here because we have another speaker lined up who's just as interesting and we don't have to, we don't want to have him waiting too long. I really, really want to thank you, Olafu. Thank you. Thank you, Carsten, for taking the time. <laughs> to, to